Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. Hope your Thursday's going well. Now it's evening. We're almost to the weekend. we got one more day. At least we got the British Open to wake us up tomorrow. Open Championship. That's really cool to have sports to watch. By the way, I'm blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize just how much you are as well, and I hope this finds you and yours doing as as good as can possibly be expected in your life. And if you want to have a faith-based conversation with me at jmartzone, DMs wide open for those chats. Sometimes it takes me a little bit of time to get back to you, but I try to get back to everybody. A lot of kind words are said. Sometimes that don't necessarily need responses, but trust me, I see it when you send me that stuff. And if it's not me, I hope you find somebody that you trust that you can have that conversation with. I promise you, it couldn't possibly be more important so a couple of football topics a couple of basketball topics with the basketball topics i think are more relative to all the sports plus i want to talk about netflix again tonight i have done this already but i kind of want to lay out my red and blue show philosophy again for you i did it right off the start one of the first couple of shows i did of the big six last summer but i think it's really appropriate with this friends and office information and netflix's numbers from yesterday but i want to start with the cleveland browns and the expectations for the Cleveland Browns. This morning on Outkick the Coverage, Jeff Schwartz and I went into this in great detail, and he's taken a lot of flack because he is kind of down on the Browns, meaning he thinks they're going to go like 8-8, eight and eight, somewhere in there, which really shouldn't sound down, especially if you've been paying attention to the Browns this century. But they've become such a trendy pick to just do great things because they have talent. But the problem is, What people are pointing to is not what we've seen in the history of this league. It's not at all, as a matter of fact. You have a second-year quarterback in Baker Mayfield who is undersized. A lot of talent, but he's undersized. Deadly accurate, but he's undersized. You've got a major personality in Odell Beckham Jr., top-flight wide receiver, Definite number one guy, if he can stay healthy, which, I mean, that hasn't dogged him throughout much of his career, but he has lost some time due to it. But on the field, he's an exquisite player, no question about that. When Kareem Hunt comes back off of the time that he is going to be forced to miss for his error in judgment off the field, he's going to be helpful. Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, I mean, they've got a ton of talent on that team. But what is it that we talk about so often in pro football? We talk about it even more in college football. The coaches. And this is not to say Freddie Kitchens is going to be a bad coach. It's to say I have no idea what Freddie Kitchens is going to be as a head coach. 
And because of that, there are a lot of these new head coach situations where I look at them and I say, well, I'm not picking that team. There's too many variables that I don't know. I don't like making decisions and predictions based on incomplete information. I've said that about Mariota. I've said that about a lot of things in sports. The more you know, the better you're going to be. If you look at analytics, one thing that we're starting to see in football analytics is that the teams that look at them and utilize them properly are winning games. The Eagles and the Patriots, Kevin Clark of the Ringer wrote an article yesterday talking about analytics and saying, look, the Patriots and the Eagles use analytics about as much or more than anybody in the league and look who the last two Super Bowl champions were. And, of course, the Patriots represented the AFC in the past two. So they look at these numbers and they pay attention to them and they see what tendencies are working and what things seem to be out of fashion or aren't contributing to a high success rate. And so they try to fix that. But the other thing, and this isn't even looking at it from analytics, is how many mediocre head football coaches in the NFL have taken home Super Bowls? When you talk about the NBA, you're thinking about, oh, well, the Spurs are going to be in it because Greg Popovich is a head coach. Or the Clippers are probably going to be better because Doc Rivers is a head coach. I told you a few days ago that the Thunder, because they basically put the wrong oil in the gas tank of a Lamborghini with all the talent that they've had with the Durants and the Paul Georges and certainly the Westbrooks and even the Oladipos and James Harden and Ibaka and all of those guys, but they had a mediocre to average head coach that whole time, whether it was Scott Brooks or Billy Donovan. But when you think about the Patriots, the question is, well, who gets more of the credit? Is it Tom Brady or is it Bill Belichick? Well, Bill Belichick gets a ton of publicity. Coaches do matter in all of these sports from a positive and negative standpoint, which is why I'm not looking at the Cardinals, even with Kyler Murray's potential talent. He's also undersized. It's a first-year head coach that wasn't very good in college in Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know what he's going to do. I was not a huge fan of Matt LaFleur. And I've seen stories, some positive, some negative, regarding what he and Aaron Rodgers are doing and what they're thinking and audibles this and, hey, you're going to do my offense here or who's going to be flexible and all this. I just I didn't see a lot from Matt LaFleur that I thought was all that transcendent last year in Nashville. So I'm on a wait-and-see approach there. I like Matt Nagy a lot better than him, for example, in Chicago in that same division. But if you think about the AFC North, John Harbaugh, very good football coach has won a Super Bowl. Mike Tomlin, very good football coach. Maybe they tuned him out to some degree, but maybe they got some of those guys out of there that weren't listening to him or weren't respecting him properly. He's won a Super Bowl. Ben Roethlisberger is a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Joe Flacco is gone. Lamar Jackson, that's a big question mark for Baltimore. But how big a question mark is a guy who coached from the running backs coach position the first half of last year to become an interim coach to now being the head coach for the first time in Freddie Kitchens. With all of this potential challenge and obstacle and ego and all of the stuff, brashness, that some of these new guys are bringing, Baker Mayfield can't stop talking. He talked again. He talked about Hugh Jackson. He clearly has a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't given a chance to start. He's right about that. But what he said about Odell Beckham Jr., he took a shot at New York fans, and I have no idea what he was saying to Mina Kimes in this ESPN cover story, which you should read. It's like 4,500 words, but it's great. It says he's here to work and he wants to be surrounded by people who love him and support him and actually allow him to be himself. He's here to play in front of fans who actually care, who will actually show up to every game and pack the stadium and love him for who he is. What in the world is he talking about? 
I mean, I know New York is a tough media market, but I don't think there were a whole lot of people that weren't supporting Odell Beckham Jr. that were Giants fans. I don't think it was the fans that were the problem for Odell. And so Baker Mayfield has taken a shot at the Giants organization on behalf of his star wide receiver. I don't necessarily know what he's doing. He's talking about things he has no idea about, but this is what Baker Mayfield does. He took a shot at Sam Ellinger when he was on uh, Oklahoma radio, and that was kind of an Oklahoma-Texas thing, but it got more personal than it needed to. You don't need to take a shot at a college kid when you're in the pros. That's punching down, first of all. But this is what he does. He plants flags, and he grabs his genitalia against Kansas. This is what you get with Baker Mayfield. And I laid out the case a couple of weeks ago on this very program that I think that's what you want for Baker because if he's not playing with that chip on his shoulder and playing near the edge, I'm not sure he's nearly as successful. This is a guy who had to walk on, who's had to fight for everything that he's ever had, and he believes he has supreme talent. And clearly winning a Heisman Trophy, being as accurate as he was, the yardage that he threw for at Oklahoma, and a lot of the flashes that we saw in his first season as a Cleveland Brown in the NFL last year once he got a chance to get on the field, sure, he should have an ego. And he's a pro athlete. That makes him one of the 30 best quarterbacks ever, you know, in, the, in terms of right now, not ever, but 30 best guys that you can find in the country, in the world, that can do that job. But they are talking an awful lot for a team that has not had a winning season since 2007. And they're in a tough division where the Ravens will be heard from. I don't necessarily believe in Lamar Jackson, but I'm willing to watch and see. I certainly think that Pittsburgh is going to be better than most people expect them to be because sometimes it can be addition by subtraction, even when the subtraction seems enormous in the form of a running back who would not play for you last year and a wide receiver who threw his own quarterback under the bus, didn't care for management, is out here Instagram video or Facebook Live videoing in the middle of post games, upsetting the team, forcing his way out of town, and getting actually what he wanted, getting to the Raiders and getting paid big for it. But I think the Steelers are probably going to be more cohesive this year. They're still going to be able to run. The O-line's in better shape. I think the defense is, they made some good strides in the draft, took some, some good players, at least on paper, it looks like they had a very good draft. Roethlisberger could have... A, he might just have a better attitude this year, quite frankly, without Mr. Big Chest in that locker room. I mean, Connor can still play. Juju is a legit number one guy. He can definitely continue to toe the load there. Now, we'll see what he looks like without Antonio Brown out there. He's going to be the one that's facing the double teams at this point. He's the one that's going to have to find a way to get open with less space in which to do so. But the Steelers are still out there. They still exist in the AFC North. And until they don't, there are – it seems like most projections have the Browns winning double-digit games, and if they fail to do that, then that's going to somehow be a letdown. That is a tremendous amount of pressure to put on a guy who has never coached at this level, who's going into his first season with a second-year quarterback where we're still trying to figure out exactly what he is and what he's going to do and what his ceiling is. And then you've got not just Odell but Jarvis Landry, Two very outsized personalities. Running back situation where we'll see what Kareem Hunt gives you when he comes back. There's a ton of talent, but there are a ton of question marks here. I'm not saying I think that the Browns are going to fail. I am saying that should they win seven or eight games and not nine or ten, I don't think that that should come as any surprise to anybody that's watched football. 
Because for some reason, even though we speak reverently about a Bill Belichick, just as one example, or the offensive genius of Andy Reid, or the innovation of Doug Peterson, or the first-year success of Frank Reich and what it showed about what he learned during his time in Philadelphia. As much as we talk about the importance of head coaches and the, and the absence of it, there's always, oh, is Mike Vrabel going to be the guy in Tennessee? I like what I saw last year. Anthony Lynn seems to be a really solid addition to the Chargers, for example. And then there's a bunch of rookie guys and new guys that we're going to see what they do. But with all this attention paid to – Coaches being super integral to a team or a franchise's success. Why are we not looking at what we don't know about the Browns to just kind of cool it a little bit on these prognostications that this team is Super Bowl or bust when, again, they have not had a winning season since 2007? If they win eight games, I think that's probably a pretty good step. If they win nine, fantastic. If they do go a win 10 and 11, I think that's good. But if I had to bet on it, I would probably bet on that 8 and 8 because it's a tough division. Jeff actually said this morning, Jeff Schwartz said to me this morning, he said he's picking, he's already taking the Titans to upset the Browns, to beat the Browns in the first week because they're going to get everybody shot because they've been talking so much and they've been hyped up so much that every team's going to show up and want to shut them up. And he believes that the Titans are going to be the first team to do that right out of the gates to start the season. So I know some people think Jeff's down on the Titans. Some people don't like that. Well, he point blank said they're going to beat Cleveland. I don't know if he's right. I don't know if I would go with that prediction or not. I do think that Cleveland is overhyped right now. Very overhyped. And a lot of times when you're overhyped in the NFL, you are prime for a fall. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So... to the Big Six here on a Thursday in Nashville. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors by renting their homes instead of selling. Renters Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. I'm going to read this directly from The Athletic, which at this point, you should probably just subscribe to The Athletic. Because if you don't, then I don't know who you're even reading. Or you're reading a very, very select, small group of people. They picked up Andy Staples this week. I mean, they've got everybody. Bob Kravitz used to write for the Indy Star. He did a great job, but he's now writing, of course, for The Athletic as well. I'm just going to read this straight from him. All throughout certain portions of the NBA, a manic game of musical chairs was being played before and during the league's free agency period. Superstars were changing locations as free agents. Others were forcing trades from their current team so they could join forces with another superstar. The big names were flying about with big market teams, or better yet, big revenue teams finding a seat among the league's elite and the Indiana Pacers. They couldn't even get meetings. They couldn't get meetings with the tier one free agents. That comes as no great surprise, but even after decades of sustained success and by success, we mean being a playoff team year in and year out. They couldn't even get a meeting with the representatives of the second tier free agents. Chris Middleton, not interested Tobias Harris. Thanks, but no thanks. That's not to say the Pacers struck out this off season, Fact is, they did as well or even better than expected, pulling off a sign-and-trade for former Rookie of the Year Malcolm Brogdon. He goes a little bit further on, and then he says, one thing about the Pacers is they always seem to get more bang for their buck than their competitors, which is great, but it doesn't necessarily mean the Pacers will be playing deep into the spring. 
And that's the problem for Indiana and for so many of the lower revenue small market teams. The most they can promise their fans is that they'll be good, better than average, competitive. The Pacers have resided in this NBA purgatory for years, having not won a first-round playoff series since 2014. They won't tank ever, which is both an outdated philosophy and a noble one, so they continue to reside somewhere in the middle, good enough to maintain fan interest, but rarely great enough to make a run at an NBA title. The one thing sports can do is sell hope, something the parody-driven NFL does better than anybody. In the NFL, Worst to first is not a complete anomaly. A few prescient off-season moves, a great draft like the Colts had last year, and you can go from 4-12 and 12 to 10-6. and six. My fear is that the NBA, with its soft salary cap and more loopholes than the tax code, continues to become a league of haves and have-nots, creating a semi-permanent underclass of teams that are always left picking up the crumbs after the free agent party passes them by unquote that's uh, a little bit of a lengthy part of the early stages of that bob kravitz article at the athletic so he's lamenting small markets and the fact that chris middleton and tobias harris would not even take a meeting with the pacers well, one reason is because both of those guys knew they were going to get max deals from the teams they were already on so why would they take meetings that they weren't intending to take advantage of chris middleton was not going to leave milwaukee he just got his money Tobias Harris didn't want to leave Philadelphia. He just got his money, and a lot of it, as a matter of fact, at $190 million. So what is Kravitz saying, and is this legitimate? And you can apply this to the NFL as well, and they talked about the parody-driven NFL. That's one of the things he mentions in this article. Well, you can say that guys are going to big markets. There was the discussion, ooh, DeMar DeRozan's going to stay in Toronto. He wants to be in Toronto because he knows – in this era, you can get exposed no matter where you are, so you don't have to go play in Los Angeles, even though that's where he's from and that's where he wanted to be. Same thing with Paul George deciding to stay in Oklahoma City. That was going to be a thing, and Kawhi went to Toronto. Well, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving went to Brooklyn. That's New York, one of the five boroughs. Kawhi and Paul George left Oklahoma City and Toronto and went to Los Angeles. Last year, LeBron James left Cleveland and went to Los Angeles. This year, he was joined by Anthony Davis, who left New Orleans to go to Los Angeles. Russell Westbrook forced a trade out of Oklahoma City, and it was probably a mutual situation there, a bad contract, and with Paul George gone, no chance. And he forced a trade, and he went where? To Houston. What is Houston? The fourth most populous city in the United States. Boston got Kimball Walker out of Charlotte. You're seeing movement to where? Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, and New York, and Houston. But this is the thing that, and I don't know that Bob Kravitz doesn't realize this, but this is what the NBA has always been. When you have a chance to go to a big city, you go there. Anthony Davis wants to be an actor. He wants to be in Hollywood. He's made that clear, which is why I said yesterday on this show that all that talk about Anthony Davis telling Rachel Nichols that he's going to wait until the end of the year and then decide, unless he and LeBron just hate playing with one another, which I don't foresee, this is just all about leverage and making sure that Rich Paul and LeBron James and Anthony Davis have the Lakers over a barrel, making sure they have control. Anthony Davis basically told the rest of the NBA, I will not re-sign with you. If you take me, it's a one-year deal. As soon as I can go, I'm going to go. 
That's why Boston backed off. Danny Ainge out here saying that what they really want in free agency, their top targets, were Kimball Walker. Okay, I can buy that. And Ennis Cantor, uh, probably not going to buy that. Maybe they would have wanted him as a tertiary piece, but that was not a prime target in free agency. Ainge is, I don't know what Ainge is talking about there. But Anthony Davis could have said the same thing about the Lakers, and he didn't. Why? Because he wants to be a Laker. And he wants to be a Laker long time. And so he's going to sign there long term unless there's some disaster on the horizon that we don't that nobody expects if they don't win the championship they're going to be close he's going to resign in fact he's going to do the same thing Kawhi did he's going to sign a two-year deal at the end of this year probably with an option right after that'll get him to the 10-year plateau at which point he can make that 35 percent of the cap super max and get paid more than he could possibly get paid in any other time that's just smart business and I'm sure the Lakers probably realize that but yes guys are going to big markets and they're going to big markets because they want to live in those cities. You want to live in New York? I mean, I don't know that I do. I like to visit there from time to time. Los Angeles. I mean, I loved going out to Anaheim last month outside of the traffic. I mean, the weather and some of the other stuff was pretty great. Taxes, not great. I mean, you want to live in some of these big cities. Indianapolis is not a terribly small city, but Peter Vesey always joked that they used to call it Nap City because that's what guys would do when they got there what media people would do is just sleep in their hotel rooms because there's nothing to do. Oklahoma City is the smallest media market in the NBA by a long shot. And they've had a ton of talent, but a lot of it has been homegrown talent. They were able to get Paul George, but they weren't sure they were going to be able to keep him. They sold him on staying for one more year, and then he left. Now they've lost all that talent. They've got Chris Paul, who they can't seem to find a trading partner for. Big shock there. He's got a terrible contract, and... The other problem is nobody wants him around because he's a bit of a malcontent and he's somebody that passes the buck and is never responsible for the failures. It's always you, 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 or you, and that's him pointing fingers. So he has become kind of a toxic problem, both from a contractual standpoint as well as an affability standpoint. That's the same thing with John Wall, by the way. Miami is looking at trying to get Bradley Beal out of Washington to pair up with Jimmy Butler. And Bradley Beal's a great secondary piece. I mean, not even secondary. He's a second fiddle guy. He's not going to win you a championship as number one guy, but he's a definite great number two, 25-point-a-game scorer. To get him, Miami is considering taking on maybe the worst contract in basketball, the John Wall contract, where he's supposed to make $47 million this year and probably won't even play. And him and Bradley Beal have not liked each other even worse, I think, than James Harden and Chris Paul for years. So you've got those kind of problems, but people consistently want to go to big markets, and it is not new. I mean, even Shaq left Orlando and went to the Lakers. Kobe Bryant was drafted by the Hornets. He ended up playing for the Lakers. Never played a game for the Hornets. Some guys are wired a little bit differently. But you think about Portland, and you think about Oklahoma City, and you you just have to be smarter. But we have seen enough examples even with the Pacers, where they got Oladipo out of that deal for Paul George, and he's been great, except he got banged up and missed most of last season. But they've got Sabonis, and they got Brogdon, and I think that they're probably going to be a pretty good basketball team again if Oladipo's able to come back and deal with the injury bug and not let it hold him down. They're probably going to be a pretty good basketball team this coming year. But that's sort of the thing. People are going to go to these big markets. That just happens in sports. It's not because of a soft salary cap. If you want to do anything, remove the Supermax for 
one player on each roster where you can pay them whatever the heck it is that you want and it doesn't count against the salary cap, at which point the 30 best players in the league might choose 30 different cities. And then you have real parity created across the board. At least that's one way to look at it. Clay Travis, that, that was the first person I heard mention that was him. And so I want to make sure that I give him credit for it because I agree with that. I think that that is a, a fascinating way to look at it. Now, you might still have two of those guys. One of them is willing to take less money to form a super team, perhaps. But I'm talking about market number where if you want to pay some dude $70 million per year for four years because he's that good, then you have the right to do that. But you only have the right to do that for one guy on each franchise. Until you remove that and or until you agree to that or add that, then this is what's going to happen. Guys are going to get together. They're going to decide on the perfect city to go play in, and they're going to go play there. LeBron left Cleveland and went to Miami. He wanted to live in Miami. Plus, Dwayne Wade was there. They want to play with their friends, but they also have dreams of being in these media markets and these historic franchises and finding ways. And if that means leaving an Oklahoma City or leaving a Salt Lake City or leaving a Portland or leaving even a Milwaukee, then that's what we're going to see. Kravitz's point is not necessarily wrong, but we're about to have more parity in the NBA this year than we've had in a long time with this NBA jam, multiple stars on 10 teams kind of deal where you've got maybe a dozen teams that you could make a plausible argument why they might be the NBA champions at the end. Or maybe it's just going to be the Clippers or the Lakers. And the team that gets forgotten about the most is the Milwaukee Bucks, who are the third favorites according to Vegas with Houston at number four but the Bucks last time I checked were five to one and if Giannis comes back ready then of course they are and they should be but Kravitz's article I think that it's going to be a problem and it's always been a problem San Antonio drafted well they're not a big market but they drafted well the Pacers have drafted pretty well Toronto didn't have a single lottery pick this year and just won the NBA championship. And that includes Kawhi Leonard, who did leave. But again, Milwaukee, Giannis Antetokounmpo, you just have to you have to be smarter. You have to you don't have the luxury of a bad draft because you're not necessarily going to be able to, to attract the free agents. But I think my only disagreement really with what Kravitz is saying here is that this is not new. It's always been this way. It's always been these big markets. They have those inherent advantages. So the small market deal saying that there's haves and have-nots, that's just the reality of American sports. It's the reality of location, and it's the reality of circumstance. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday evening here in the Music City. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone, also the host of the Jason Martin Show, heard nationally on Fox Sports Radio, 2 to 5 a.m. Central Time. 2 to 4, you hear live, then you hear the third hour, 6 to 7, here on The Zone, right before Squared Circle Radio, which I also host, talking pro wrestling from 7 to 8 every Sunday morning. And this week, all week, I've been in with my good buddy Jeff Schwartz, who played in the NFL for eight years on OutKick to Coverage, as Clay Travis has been out. I'll also be in Wednesday of next week as well as on Friday with Clay. And then the week of August 5th, I'll be in as well with Jeff that entire week on OutKick. So you can put that down on your calendar. We've had a, a good time. Phil Steele will join us tomorrow. If you missed any part of the show today, we have Warren Sharp and Frank Isola 
real good show today, we thought, in terms of content. So I want to talk about Netflix here, and I might talk about Netflix for the rest of the show because I want to lay out a philosophy for you. I've laid it out one other time, but if you're new to this program or you have not listened to my podcasts in the past, then maybe it's going to come as new to you. But Netflix released numbers yesterday that showed subscriptions are down, money is down, it missed projections fairly substantially. And so now there are questions as to why. And I tweeted out something that got a lot of response, which was that over 75 billion minutes have been spent watching two programs on Netflix. It's not House of Cards. It's not Orange is the New Black. It's not dark. It's not any of the original programming. It's not even Stranger Things, which is doing tremendously, certainly. And the last Pop 6 article, Pop Six episode, no spoilers on season three, but we went into the phenomenon of Stranger Things. We're about to turn around and actually do a season three deep dive and really go into spoilers. So be on the lookout for that. And you can uh, subscribe to that podcast, the Pop 6 with Jason Martin, through your podcast, Catcher of Choice. Same thing with this program, the Big Six with Jason Martin, if you miss any part of this program. But the two programs in question for Netflix that over 75 billion minutes have been spent watching, consuming, are Friends and The Office. The Office, number one, I think at 51, and then Friends is near 40. So I actually undercut that number. I think it's actually over 80 billion minutes. I can't remember the exact numbers. might be like 46 and 35. It's in that 80, 80 billion range. With all the original content that is out there and all the new stuff, People are going back to these two shows. And in 2020, Friends will be leaving the service. And in 2021, The Office will be leaving the service. And they're going to two different streaming platforms, one that's under control of Walt Disney and ABC, and then The Office going to NBC Universals once it opens up in a couple of years. This is not to blame for Netflix losing subscriptions now, though, because those shows are still there. Friends... Netflix paid $100 million just to keep that on the service through 2019 because there was such a backlash when it was revealed they were about to lose it. Go back to 2015 when Netflix lost or decided not to go with Seinfeld. It's now on Hulu. That really helped Hulu out because people wanted Seinfeld immediately. The problem for Netflix is not necessarily anything, any one thing. Others are saying it's the price spike. They've gone up a couple of more dollars, and that's effective. I guess maybe so, but if I'm willing to pay $12 a month, I'm willing to pay $15. Matter of fact, if I'm willing to pay $8.99, I'm willing to pay $14.99. I might scream and moan about it on social media, which a lot of people have, but I've already decided that this is content worth paying for, so it shouldn't break the bank to add $6 a month. I'm not saying that $6 a month can't add up. I'm saying usually if you're willing to pay one number, you're willing to pay a number within reason that's higher than the original. So I don't know that it's that. There could be some people that are breaking it for that. The bigger issue I would say for Netflix is that there are a whole lot of competitors in their specific space. There is Hulu. There is Amazon Prime Video. There is CBS All Access. There is Sundance Now. There is AMC Premiere. There is FX Premiere. There is all of these various services, which is now making it making the cord cutting almost seem the reverse of what it originally was, which is, oh, I can cut out all the bloat of cable and save money and just subscribe to Netflix and get everything. And you still can, except you're going to lose the two most popular programs on that service. And so... 
what is going to happen when you have to make a choice? How many people that have Netflix today but spend a lot of their time watching those two shows they're about to lose are going to cut Netflix or are going to be more selective about it? Where when the new season of Stranger Things comes out, you subscribe to Netflix again, you pay 15 bucks, you watch that in a week or two, and then you cancel the service until another show comes around that you want to see. Original content, I mean here, where you can only get it through Netflix or some show in the past, like an NYPD Blue or something like that, that that you can find and you're interested in as well. But it would make sense to do that. Same thing people do with HBO or, oh, the new season of Shameless or Homeland is starting on Showtime, so I'm going to go ahead and subscribe to Showtime until the end of that season. That's 12 weeks, so that takes a little bit longer. You have to hold on if it's a 12-episode season for three months, so maybe you're paying 45 bucks. But honestly, that's taking one family of four to the movies and maybe even just two if you want to eat. So you can get there. That is a price point that when you actually compare it to other things in the entertainment landscape, it still makes sense to do that. How much is that going to hurt Netflix if Netflix is having people that are picking and choosing times of the year instead of just blindly paying every month and having it auto-drafted out of their bank accounts? USA Today put out an article yesterday, and others followed suit, saying Netflix says they're going to be fine, that the money that they are going to save not having to maintain friends and the office, they can use on more original shows. My question for Netflix behind that example, because I'm nowhere near as bullish on them as others, is if that's true, if you guys are still making money hand over fist, if you're not being a little bit more conservative or a little bit more discerning in what you're doing, then why are you canceling shows? Because one of the sheer benefits of being an executive with HBO or Cinemax or Showtime or Stars or any of these is that you don't have to rely on 38 million people watching Game of Thrones. You can keep Breaking Bad on the air for three seasons or for six seasons in that case when it's barely doing three million. And sometimes, and at first it was barely doing one million because it's a quality arrangement more than a quantity. You want more eyes on it, yes. You want The Walking Dead to be as successful as it's been. You want it to do better than Mad Men did throughout its run. But Mad Men was so critically acclaimed that you're able to achieve this status without having to deal with the ratings numbers. It's not quite as much of a dog-eat-dog world as it is in network TV, where if Fox puts on a television show on a Thursday night and it tanks for a month, that show's canceled before it even gets half a season. And that's why there are a lot of these things called back-season orders in television as well, where you'll find out five or six episodes in, oh, they've already green-lighted the back end of this series. I remember Blind Spot being an example of that. This Is Us being an example of that. Designated Survivor. And then there are always those shows that are sort of on the bubble. Oh, the numbers aren't great, but people kind of like it. And so TV by the numbers, which is a really good website, explodes because they give you the information that tells you what likelihood the show you're watching has of actually surviving. And interestingly, once you find out it's in trouble, usually it becomes in more trouble. The one trend in TV is if you don't watch a show for the first two or three weeks, you're probably not going to all of a sudden start watching that show because it did not pique your interest originally. Unless it is off the charts great and you just feel like you missed the boat and you're reading article after article after article about how great X or Y series is, so you have to tune in. 
usually if you are not an early adopter, you're not going to be a late adopter unless you're just going to stream the entire thing. And then you're benefiting Netflix and those services as opposed to the networks. But all the original shows that Netflix has, they are canceling shows. And they're even canceling critically acclaimed shows. One Day at a Time got axed. Norman Lear, still executive producing the original and the remake, and it was one of the highest critically acclaimed comedies of the decade. And Pop TV brought it back because CBS said, okay, well, we can win Emmys with this thing. Maybe. We could certainly win Television Critics Association awards and things of that nature. So it was a low rent proposition for them because Pop TV is something most people don't know exists. And there is an audience, a fervent, small audience, but an audience nonetheless. And Pop TV has nothing anyone is watching anyway. So you put one day at a time on, and at least you've got that audience coming over there to do that. But Netflix canceled it. And not just that. They canceled some other shows as well, some other originals. And maybe they're going to bring some originals back in their stead. I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, they're obviously going to bring back originals. But how many originals hit like Stranger Things? How many House of Cards are out there? How many Oranges and New Blacks are out there? How many new ideas are out there? I talked about Stranger Things on the Pop 6 and said one of the reasons why it works is because... It unabashedly is an homage to the past and somehow feels original because it's in your face with all the reasons why it's not. There are no real great new ideas out there. Even Orange is a New Black wasn't new. First off, it was built off of a book. But Orange is a New Black was basically like watching Lost. It was about flashback stories centered on a couple of characters per episode where you learned more about how they got there, what went wrong in their life, and what kind of people they actually were. There is nothing new out here if there was Men in Black 3 would never have been created. When we come back, I want to talk about my philosophy of red versus blue shows and why I think Friends in the Office were watched and consumed and continue to be at the rate that they do and why it's nostalgia and why it's the old and the familiar that seems to sometimes take precedence. We'll be right back to finish up the show. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Down. Second to the program here on the Big Six, finishing up on a Thursday night. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through Rent Estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renters Warehouse, the Rent Estate Company. Jeff Schwartz and I finishing up the Outkick Week tomorrow morning. You'll hear the first hour of that before the Wake Up Zone takes over. And uh, Blaine and Mark doing a great job this week with Kevin taking a well-deserved vacation. So I talked about Netflix numbers being down and what analysts are saying. Now I want to give you a philosophy real quick, and this is not new. If you have listened to me before, you have heard this before, and that's the Red and Blue Show. And I think it applies so much because Friends and The Office are the two most watched shows by a long shot on Netflix, and they're going to lose both of them over the next couple of years to competing streaming services that don't even exist yet in either case. The Red Show, stop sign. This means, wait, do I have it in me to sit down and consume this right now? This is going to affect my mood. This is something I have to pay attention to because it's in-depth. This is something probably I have not seen before as well. It might have subtitles. Whatever it might be, there is a barrier here that can slow you down and at least give you thoughts like Chernobyl, for instance. Chernobyl is as good as TV had got this year, or maybe as good as TV has gotten in a long time, actually. But, I'm not going to watch Chernobyl right before I go to sleep because I don't want that in my dreams. 
even Stranger Things, some of that imagery, I could see why you wouldn't want to watch that. You'd rather watch that in the morning or in the afternoon as opposed to watching it right before you go to sleep, unless you're just looking for the thrill. Or then there's shows that are just heavy drama. Like, I'm not watching The Wire right before I go to sleep either because it's sad and because people are getting killed or people are abusing drugs. I can't stand to watch people use intravenous drugs in particular, using using needles to shoot heroin, just watching people destroy themselves actually makes me violently ill. So the wire was hard for me to get through at times. Even something like Mad Men, where you're watching adultery and you're watching all these things, it just it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And again, if you try to get up and you have this on doing other things, you're going to miss something important. It demands your attention. And then there are the blue shows. And by the way, there are a lot of red shows on Netflix. Like you're not going to just have Orange is the New Black on in the background. You're not going to have House of Cards on in the background. You're not going to have BoJack Horseman, at least until you've seen it, on in the background. One of the darkest shows on all of TV, as a matter of fact. There are many examples of this. Dark, just as another one. Ozark. You're not putting Ozark on in the background. There's too much heft there. There's there's language. There's stuff that's just kind of going to be staccato in your life. Just just choppy, and it just feels like you're getting stabbed a little bit if you're not paying close enough attention to it. And it can definitely leave you sour if the episode ends in a negative way, and it has a tendency to do so in these shows. So those are red shows. And then there's blue shows. And blue just to me is a cool color. It's a relaxing color. We're in the midst of summer, right? Blue air conditioning, comfortable, just a, a, my favorite color. I've decided, I guess it's navy blue. I thought it was green. I, I think green is still way up there, but I'm starting to think navy blue based on my wardrobe. But a blue show is something maybe you've seen before, or it's something that you can have on while you're doing other stuff. And it's not going to affect your mood most of the time. And that can be your sitcoms, or it can be, here's maybe the ultimate blue show, sports. Sports can affect your mood, but I can have a random college basketball game on in the background while I'm, I don't know, doing dishes after dinner or, I don't know, putting in laundry or whatever it is, writing a piece, planning out a show. You can have it on in the background of your life. And it's going to enhance rather than detract from your life because you can sing song along with the lines that you know. And it can be a movie, too, not just a television show like Fletch is one for me. Back to the Future is one for me. The Dark Knight, even though there is some heft there, it is one for me because I've seen it so many times. Some of the John Oliver bits, some of the longer pieces that he's done, I actually find myself going into those and rewatching those. I could name some of the ones that I watch all the time. I actually have a collection of the Shacked and a Fool stuff. I enjoy bloopers. I can have those on in the background. Things like that. Friends and The Office, folks, are blue shows. Even though The Office is awkward, once you've seen it, unless it's Scott's Tots, you can probably go back to it. There are some that can be harder to watch. It's not as blue a show as Friends is. Friends is a perfect blue show. And so people tweeted me at Zone and they said, well, you know, me and my wife, we go to sleep with friends in the office on. So maybe some of those minutes are actually people being asleep and not turning Netflix off. Very possible. But that's an ultimate blue show. A blue show is one you can go to sleep to. I'm not putting on a Chernobyl. I'm not having Chernobyl rolling through all five episodes and going to sleep with that. I'm good. We're good on that. And I usually don't. Actually, I pretty much never go to sleep with the TV on anymore. Maybe a podcast very, very quietly. And it's usually something I've already heard as well. 
that just makes it easier for me just to fall out. But I do think that there is something to be said for that. But people need blue shows because escapes sometimes are better when they're relaxing. One of the reasons I stopped playing video games, for the most part, is because I realized I'm not good at them anymore because there's 7,000 buttons and I just can't remember the combinations. I know. That just means I'm old. But it is a thought to keep in mind that the reason why we keep going back to the stuff we've already seen isn't just because it's familiar. It's because you can actually relax and lose yourself if you want. But you can also just not have to think. And that can be priceless when our lives are taxing and full of decisions that we have to make. Not having to make a decision, not having to think too hard, just being able to laugh mindlessly at characters that you know and love, it works. So it's a problem for Netflix losing this stuff. I don't care how many original series they're going to put out. This is something to keep an eye on. We'll be right back tomorrow. Same bad time, same bad channel. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night.